Good morning, church. Thank you for joining us this morning as we come together and worship. Please stand with me and uh, as we continue to worship God through, uh, through song. Come now, fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach me song, melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song now my heart has found a home now your grace is always with me and i'll never be alone come thou found come thou king come thou precious prince of peace hear your bride to you we sing come thou found of our blessing Come thou found, come thou king, come thou precious prince of peace, hear your bride to you we sing, come thou found of our blessing. Oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Come thou found, come thou keep. Come thou precious Prince of Peace, hear your bride to you we sing. Come thou found of our blessing. Come thou found, come thou King. Come thou precious Prince of Peace, hear your bride to you we sing. Come thou found of our blessing. Glad to have each of you here. We're glad that you're with us on the, uh, the internet today. We're glad that you're joining us for worship. It's a beautiful day outside. If you haven't been out, well, you've all been out there because you came here. But it's really nice standing out back at the door. It's nice and shady. The sunshine you can see, but it's not hot. It's a great day. God has given us to worship and praise him. So I hope that you enjoy the day here as well as whatever it is you're doing this afternoon. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to be having our study session on 
The Chosen, and it is season one, episode three. It's Jesus Loves the Little Children. If you have the means to be able to see it, go ahead and do that. You're going to watch it again tonight. We're going to take a look at uh, what it means for Jesus to love the little children, and he loves you too, even though you're not a little child, or if you are a little child. Uh, I tried to look around and find other commercials. I couldn't find anything to give you. We're going to meet on Wednesday night for Bible study and prayer. Come and join us so we can share together in that special time. Otherwise, we're going to pray, and then we have a special music. We have a couple of congregational hymns, and then Brother Shannon Ford is going to come and preach to us today. Uh, as Vic is away, we're looking, excuse me, Vic, I'm sorry. Vic is still here. <laughs> Cliff is away. I don't know where that came from. Cliff is away, and uh, Brother Shannon is going to speak to us, and he's going to get the opportunity to tell you all about himself, and I told him if he told me, I'd forget. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us to worship you, to praise you, to do these things that can help us to love you and show our love for you. We pray for the things we're doing this morning. We pray for the special music, the uh, hymns. We have an opportunity to worship and praise you through that. Pray with Brother Shannon as he comes to share with us this morning, Father. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think uh, most of you remember a few weeks ago I shaved off my beard. Well, I looked in the mirror, and I looked 20 years younger, I thought. But I didn't feel 20 years younger. And then a dear brother told me, you don't look 20 years younger. So I guess I'm becoming an ancient mariner. Let me see a show of hands on those that are... 100% sure of their relationship with Jesus. 100%. It is well with your soul. All right. If anybody in here see someone that didn't raise their hand, pray for that person. That the Holy Spirit will convict that person and maybe make that person miserable in spirit during the service that they can make that decision before it's too late because we don't know when the Lord's coming back. On this hymn, please join me in the chorus. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. That Christ has 
has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the fate shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And all the Lord's children said, Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, Al. Please stand with me as we continue to worship God through song. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. Mighty hand and outstretched arm. His love endures forever For the life that's been reborn His love endures forever Sing praise, sing praise Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. Forever 
is faithful forever god is strong forever god is with us forever Rising to the setting sun, his love endures forever, and by the grace of God we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise.
You alone are holy, only you are worthy, God. Let your fire fall down. To you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. You alone are holy, only you are worthy, God. Let your fire fall down. We welcome you with praise. We welcome you with praise. Almighty God of love, be welcome in this place. We welcome you with praise. We welcome you with praise. Almighty God of love, be welcome in this place let every heart adore let every soul awake almighty god of love be welcome in this place we welcome you with praise we welcome you with praise almighty god of love be welcome in this place to you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden, you are our one desire. You alone are holy, only you are worthy, God, let your fire fall down. To you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden, you are our one desire. You alone are holy, only you are worthy, God, let your fire fall down. You alone are holy, only you are worthy. God, let your fire fall down. Please be seated. I, uh, I feel like I know some of you a little bit because I've, I've been here a few times. Uh, I got to come last fall to, to cover the pulpit for Brother Cliff, and then uh, been here twice now for disaster relief events, and I see some yellow shirts, so that always makes me feel comfortable. It's, uh, it's been great to see how disaster relief has rolled out this week. Uh, there's been a lot of work orders in the Chatham area and also in Springfield, Child care work at the Bank of Springfield Center, taking care of little ones that, while parents are trying to get their phones charged and such of that. Chainsaw crews have been just working like crazy, trying to get debris cleared out. It's been a, an amazing thing to see. So if you've been involved in disaster relief, thank you. If you hadn't been involved, now's a good time because uh, their ranks could sure use the extra hands. And what I saw, though, were there's some people that said, I can come work one day. And they did. They came and worked one day. 
And that's a beautiful gift. Some can come and work three or four or a week. So don't think that just because you can't work seven days, you can't work at all. You can. Well, I, I am Shannon. Uh, Katie and I have been in this area now since, well, the end of February of 2022 when I came to serve as the state missions director for Illinois Baptist State Association. Uh, but we spent most of our adult life overseas between military service and missionary service. And so when we come back to the States, it's like, this is great. When do we go back to that other place? Uh, last fall, I'll admit it, I got a little anxious. I was thinking, it, it feels like it's time to go. It's time to pack up and zip up and head back. Uh, but this is where God has us, and we're grateful. Um, and I just want to say thank you for the support you give us and your other state missionaries, and then also for all the years you supported us with the International Mission Board. We, we were cared for, so thank you. And uh, you should never... Never doubt that what you do matters when you take up offerings to support missions. Well, today's message is going to be one of those great commission messages. You're going to realize that, great, the, the former missionary, the state missionary is here, and he's going to get on to us about being missional. Well, that's my job. That's what you pay me to do. So if your toes get stepped on or you come under conviction, I did the toe-stepping. God brought the conviction. Either way, you need to be obedient to what the Lord leads you to do. This passage of Scripture, the Great Commission, we all know it. We've heard it so many times. There's probably someone here that could memorize it and say it right from their heart without even looking at their notes. But I'm going to read it carefully because we're going to take it apart and examine it bit by bit and see how we need to once again hear it afresh and put the Great Commission back to work in our life. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew 28, beginning with verse 16. It's also going to be on the screen but listen carefully as we look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. The Great Commission, verse 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, this is the word of the Lord. It started out with the disciples going on a little trip. They made their way to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus directed them. The mountain where Jesus directed them, it doesn't really say which mountain, but mountains play a role in Matthew's gospel. Each time a mountain is mentioned, something significant happened, either a revelation about the Christ or something else. You remember in Matthew, beginning in chapter 5, we have that long sermon on the mount where Jesus gives us all of those nuances and all those insights on how do you live a life that pleases God? All of those lessons about how to carry out ourselves, those beatitudes and all those other lessons are all found on that mountaintop sermon. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is there on the mount, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah show up. And then you've got Peter saying, hey, this is something. Let's just build little huts for everybody and we'll hang out. And as soon as he says that, they disappear and a voice says, this is my son. Do what he says. Follow him. 
I can't imagine what it was like to have a mountaintop experience with Jesus, but I can't imagine what it was like to see Jesus come down from the mountain and you're trying to help this boy that's convalescing and he's convulsing and he's got all these problems and you're saying, Lord, we can't do anything this one. And Jesus says, these only come out with prayer. Be gone. Coming down off the mountain is sometimes tough for people. We've had a lot of young people that have gone to camps this summer. Some still have yet to go. But they will have mountaintops experiences during that time at camp. They will, they will worship. They will sing. They will play. They'll have fun. They'll do devotionals. They'll reflect. They'll do the same thing over again the next day. And they eat a lot, too. Lots of snacks. It's good. But that mountaintop experience at camp where they say, Lord, you've been talking to me. I, I'm going to... I'm going to put this to work in my life. When they get back home, sometimes it's easy to get back into the normal and you forget about that wonderful experience at camp. Think back on your mountaintop experiences with the Lord. Some of those have stayed with you all through life. Some of us need to get ourselves back to the mountain to be with the Lord. Well, it says they were on the mountain as Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped. What a natural thing to do. But what doesn't make sense, it says that, but some doubted. What? Doubted what? But some doubted. The scripture doesn't say exactly what they doubted, but there was something going on in their hearts and minds that caused them to have this sense of, of doubt. Even on this mountaintop experience where they're worshiping the risen Savior, there's still something inside of some of them that says, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Well, you and I doubt sometimes. Well, why do we doubt? Well, sometimes we're just simply uncertain. We just don't know. Well, sometimes we lack confidence. We know the Lord is asking us to do something, but we go, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. And truthfully, sometimes it's fear. We know we're to do it, but we're simply afraid. Something deep inside of us says, I, I, I'm just afraid. I'm scared. I'm frightened. And then other times we just simply can't imagine ourselves doing that thing which the Lord has put before us. I, I never wanted anyone to ever feel guilty that Katie and I served as missionaries. That was our act of obedience. I used to listen to missionaries come and speak to churches, and they would do that. They would just make everybody else feel guilty that, well, you should be doing what I'm doing. And I would say, no, you shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You should be doing what God has you to do. You do your part. I'll do mine. And if we all do our part, it's great. But let's be truthful. Are there not times when we doubt? I know I had doubts as a missionary. I didn't think I was ever going to learn to speak Ukrainian without a crazy accent and lots of grammar mistakes. Guess what? I still have an accent and make grammar mistakes. It's okay. But there are times and places where you realize you are the person who can speak a word of truth to someone else. And because you're that foreigner who tried to learn their language, all of a sudden now they're paying attention like they never had before. That is a beautiful thing. And it happened not even a month ago in Chicago. So a group of Ukrainians have immigrated all around the world, and some of them made their way to Chicago. 
I was meeting with some church planters and others saying, what would it look like to start a church here in Chicago, a second church with Slavic background peoples, mostly Russian speakers, but what about a Ukrainian-speaking church? And the young lady said, if a guy from Oklahoma can learn to speak Ukrainian, we should be able to have a Ukrainian-speaking church here. And I just kind of sunk down in my seat and was like, she's talking about me. And it's true, though. If there was even one Ukrainian believer, one Ukrainian-speaking believer there, that person could be used of God to do something significant because they could speak the language speaking directly to the heart and the soul of a person who says, I have no hope. I don't know what's next. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. I don't know when I can go back, but I'm here now. So yes, if some guy from Oklahoma can learn to babble a little bit in a foreign tongue, how much more can a native speaker be able to present the gospel? They doubted, they doubted, they doubted. But you and I are just like them. Well, let's not pick on the disciples. If they doubted and we doubt, I think our Lord understands that. He's not surprised. He doesn't judge us and say, why did you doubt? He says, I'm with you. I'm with you always. There's another incident in Mark. Mark records a man asking, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to, you, said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. There's never been a more sincere prayer than that as recorded in Mark. I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. Maybe that's our prayer today. We believe, but we just can't imagine ourselves doing it. We believe, but we lack the confidence. We believe, but we have fear. We believe. So maybe we need to pray, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief well jesus talked about authority jesus came near and said to them all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth when jesus talks about authority that means a lot of different things and this passage of scripture is often called the great commission but if we thought about that word commission why did we pull that word out to try to describe this passage of scripture well, it has different meanings, but mostly it means to make someone responsible. Someone who's been given a commission now has been given not only authority, but responsibility. We do that with military officers. We say, we've commissioned you. And a second lieutenant gets his bars pinned onto his uniform, and all of a sudden he's like, oh dear, I'm now responsible. I have a little bit of authority over some troops, but now I'm responsible too. That sense of commissioning is used in a number of different places. Missionaries are commissioned. But I would go so far as to say you and I are also commissioned. You and I have a commission. If we said yes to Jesus and we say we're his followers, he has pinned bars on you and said you are commissioned. With that commission comes responsibility. And each one of us as part of this body needs to know what is my responsibility. Am I the person of prayer? Am I a teacher? Do I care for children? Do I look in on a brother or sister that's ill? Do I help 
Do I do this? Do I do that? I don't know what your duty is. But you know what the Lord asks of you. Well, we have this sense of authority, and we know that they had authority given to them. And the disciples were told, will you have all authority on heaven and on earth? And then he tells them to go. Now, that was the imperative. He says, go. And he tells them to do what? To make disciples of all nations. And go, they went. I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. Is that okay? I've got a lot of disciples here, and they went a lot of places, and I don't want to send the wrong guy to the wrong place. That would be like traveling on Southwest Airlines. We don't want to do that. <laughs> Man, they have been in the news, haven't they? It makes you not want to get on an airplane. It's like, we don't want to do that. Oh, my goodness. Well, it says they went. Well, where did they go? There are some instances in Scripture that tell where the disciples went, but a lot of it comes from church history and even tradition. But listen to what those who were on the mountain ended up doing. This is what we know about what they did. Let's start with Peter. Peter traveled west following the path to Rome, where in about 66 AD, during the persecution under Emperor Nero, he was crucified. Upside down at his request, since he did not feel he was worthy to die in the same manner of his Lord. Upside down. I, I don't even fathom that. But he went and that's what he faced. Andrew, he went to what is called the land of the man-eaters, which is now part of what we would call the old former Soviet Union. Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey and in Greece, where it is said that he too was crucified. If you were to visit the capital of Kiev, Ukraine, there's a monument to St. Andrew, and there's a St. Andrew's church, and you can stand on the hill, and you'll hear the tour guide tell you, Andrew came here, and he proclaimed that this land would someday be a great Christian nation. And when you look across Ukraine today, and you realize there has been a history of Christianity there, but when you see what's been going on with our Baptist brothers and sisters during this time of war, you go, oh my if they hadn't been there, what would it be like? They have opened their doors. They have housed. They have fed. They have also, some have fled, but they've been in places like Poland and Romania and Moldova and Germany and the Czech Republic. And they've joined with existing churches there and said, Ukrainians come in, guess what? We can speak their language. We can bless them. We can gather them to Bible studies. There could be a revival out of this war in Ukraine. It could be something. And Andrew supposedly was there proclaiming, this will be a great Christian nation. What about Thomas? You know, Thomas always gets a, a bad rap. He's always known as Doubting Thomas. But remember, he's the one that said, let's go with the Lord. He wants to go to Jerusalem and face what's dangerous ahead. We're going with him. And Thomas also went. He was most active in east of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far as India, where the ancient Christians belong there. They say that he died when he was pierced with spears by four soldiers. Philip. Most say that he went to Carthage and to North Africa and then to Asia Minor, where he was he was where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. It is also said that he was arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew, the tax collector, the writer of the gospel, ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. Some of the oldest reports say that he was not martyred, 
while others say he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Are you beginning to see a theme? Bartholomew had widespread missionary travels attributed to him by tradition to India with Thomas, back to Armenia, and also to Ethiopia and southern Arabia. There are various accounts of how he met his death as a martyr for the gospel were shared. James, the son of Alphaeus, is one of the least of the three James mentioned in the New Testament. There's some confusion as to which is which, but this James is thought to have gone to Syria. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot, as the story goes, ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias, who joined the bunch later, was the apostle chosen to take Judah's place. Tradition sends him to Syria with Andrew, and it's said that he died by burning. John, the only one in the company of the disciples who's thought to have not died a martyr's death, but died of old age. But his old age came in exile, separated. They were given all authority to go, and they went. Those places that I just mentioned were the known world at that time. They traveled as far as they could go, as far as trade routes would take them. They went into places that knew not the fear of God. They preached the gospel, and they died. You don't do that for something that you don't believe in. So if they had doubts, it wasn't a doubt in Christ. It might have been a personal doubt, but not a doubt in Him. You don't go to the edge of the earth, sticking to your faith to the point of death, if you had doubt in whom you were speaking of, Jesus the Christ. Yet they went, and they were faithful. Well, what did they do? When they went, well, they baptized. <laughs> That's what they went. That's what they were told to do. They were there to baptize. The baptism, again, we know is the act of identifying with Jesus in the burial and the resurrection. It's a powerful testimony of one dying to self, being immersed with Christ and raised to live a life as a disciple. It's one of the most glorious things we do as a church is when we get out the, the, the baptistry clothes and we, we, we fill up the tank and we say, we're having baptism today. There's, every one of us sets up a little taller and leans forward a little bit more on that day than any other day. Well, you know what? Baptism still takes place today, and it's done in so many different ways. We have, often have baptistries. We even have nice little heaters in them to make them comfortable for us, and towels to receive us when we get out, and it's all good. But I'm one of those people who notices baptismal stories, and, and I collected little stories over the years, and I, and I love them. One of them is from South Africa, uh, an International Mission Board missionary, a guy named Helmer Jansen. He does ministry with the house church, but that also goes into the local prison, and they, they preach to the inmates. Well, when an inmate repents and wants to be baptized, well, they don't have a baptistry at the prison. They can't let the prisoner leave to go to the church, so they bring the baptistry to him, which is an inflatable pool. And in the courtyard, where all the prisoners can look out and see what's going on, they'll baptize a person right there in the inflatable pool because that's what they have available. What a baptism to remember, being in prison and being baptized. Well, 
also in Botswana, you're going to love this one. Do we have any deacons here today? Deacons, show me your hands. Brothers, you're going to love this. If you're a deacon in Botswana, guess what your job is on baptismal Sunday? Your job is to wade into the waters and shoo away the crocodiles. (laughs) Is that awesome or what? (laughs) Be careful if you're elected deacon. You might be shooing out crocodiles, but what a day to think. you got to get there early to set up, and it's like you're on crocodile duty, and you've got to get them all shooed out, and then the person steps in and goes, I hope you got them all. <laughs> That's how, much, how you determine how much you love your pastor, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness, but that's what they do. In parts of South Asia, they also baptize, but even though it's not illegal to be a Christian, often persecution follows because it's such a minority belief. To follow Jesus means once you are baptized, you will face persecution. That's what happens. Katie and I had the privilege uh, a few weeks ago, we had breakfast with uh, a former IMB colleague, but now he's a, a director for East Asia for Voice of the Martyrs. Have you heard of that ministry where they tell the story of persons who face persecution because of their faith? And as we had breakfast and we just chatted about a variety of different things, we, we finally got to the point of just saying, well, well, Nick, tell us what's been going on in your ministry. And Nick begins to share and he talks about different things, and you know, most of which were Katie and I could relate to. But then he told a story. He said, I'm just going to tell you one individual story. And I go, go ahead, go ahead. And he said, well, this is what we're seeing. And sometimes we don't know how to tell this story because it looks like we might be exploiting the victim but we also want to make sure people hear it because people ought to know. Voice of the Martyrs works alongside church planters. And one of those church planters had a woman who was born disfigured. She had a deformity. And so all of her adult life, she was just kind of always treated poorly. She was not treated with kindness. Her family never did discard her on the street until she said yes to Jesus. When she said yes to Jesus, they shunned her and put her out on the street. The church planters and other members of the church said, we need to do something to care for her. And so they built her a a shelter. Uh, A home would be too much, but it was her home. It was a shelter, which was akin to what most people had in that area. Just a shelter, cinder block type thing with a tin roof. And it was her place to get in out of the sun, out of the heat. Family members found the shelter and stole the tin off of her roof, despite her. So the church gathered up what little belongings she had and helped her relocate someplace where she wouldn't be tormented by family members. That bothers us to think that that would happen to anyone. We don't know this lady personally, you or I, but she's our sister in Christ. And when she said yes to Jesus and was baptized saying, I identify with Christ, her family cast her out. And that happens time and time again. When Katie and I lived in Ukraine, one of my most memorable baptisms was one that we did at the quarry outside of town. 
It was an interesting place, the stone quarry, which filled up with water, and it was great. We're there, and it was uh, the first baptismal service of a brand new church, a church called Grapevine Church. They, they, they were saying, this is how we're going to constitute baptism. We'll have our next, uh, it was Saturday, baptism. Sunday we'd meet together to say, we are now a church. We want to be recognized and regarded as a church. Well, that day at the quarry, everybody's ready to get into the water. It starts raining torrentially, just a total downpour. And we're like, oh, great, what do we do? I'm looking for lightning, thinking as long as it's not lightning, we're good to go. Let's get in the water. One of the girls, Yulia, she says, this is great. She has this big smile. And I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, yes, it's your baptismal days. This is great. And she goes, it's like God can't wait. God can't wait. He's raining on us now. Let's get in the water. Let's go. And what's fun for me is to see that her and others are part of that group that were the first baptized members of this new church that today during this wartime in Ukraine, what are they doing? They're to overflow in their space that they're meeting in. And they've already commissioned people to say, you must leave and start a second church over here. We've got too many people. What a horrible problem. (laughs) Too many people. We've got too many people. And so when her girlfriend Lilia is sharing with me and telling me all the news, and then she's telling me about Yulia, who's newly married, and saying, they're going to be part of the team to start the new church. And to me, and she wrote back, she goes, I remembered when you challenged us that we should be a church that multiplies. And so for me to be able to read that, it's like, that's awesome. Did we want a war to happen? No. Did we want people to be displaced and have to flee for safety? No. But are we glad they heard the gospel? Yes. Are we glad they're being gathered together to form yet another church? Absolutely. That's what disciples do. Well, verse 20 says that they were commissioned to go teach everything that the Lord commanded them. And what did they teach? Well, let's listen to Acts chapter 22, verses 22 to 24. Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. That's what Peter preached. Peter preached that, Paul preached that, Andrew, James, John, the others preached that. To many people, it was foolishness. But they said, no, I've seen the risen Lord. He told us to go, he told us to preach, and we did. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is Paul. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. It's amazing that a guy like Paul calls himself ineloquent when he is the writer of much of our gospel. 
And when he puts together such powerful words inspired by God to say such things as that, he was quite eloquent and persuasive. But it was the Spirit who must convict. You and I both know what it's like to have preachers come in and they stir us up. They step on our toes a little bit. They challenge us. They tell stories that touch our hearts. They ask us to respond. They bring a sense of conviction to us. And then we're left to go, what do I do? Do I gut it out for the next three or four minutes, wait for that final amen and make it out the door without having anything changed? Or do I take those minutes following a message and whatever music is sung to reflect and ask the Father, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say? And as you reflect, I ask you to do this. Remember, Jesus is with you always. And he will be with each of us even until the end of the age. He said go. He asked us to say yes. He'll say where, and we say yes. He says what to say, and we say it. Do you doubt? It's okay. The disciples doubted too. You're in good, good, good company. But they were obedient, and so can we. We'll have a hymn of invitation. Our our musicians will lead us. And I just ask you, ponder, consider, reflect. If God wants you to do something for him and you know, I need to do that, I pray you'll be obedient. If you want someone to pray with you, you said, please pray with me. I've got this. I have have this concern. I'll be glad to receive you. We'll, We'll pray. But if today's the day you said, you know, I've been holding out. I know Jesus has been calling me to repent and follow him. I want to be like one of the disciples and follow him too. If that's your day today, oh, this church will celebrate. (laughs) All the angels of heaven will celebrate. And you will be received. And you too will have a chance to say yes to Jesus in in baptism. No crocodiles. No crocodiles. Father, bless us as we respond to your invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Sanctuary for
Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. It's pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be like to move one alligator. You know, remember David Grove, our former music director here, and things he did. Well, he was my music director out of charity, and we got ready to baptize one day, and as I climbed into the baptistry, there was an alligator floating in the pool. <laughs> of course, it was pretty easy to move that one out of the way, and not to worry about it, but uh, so alligators are not so frightening as, as they need to be. You know, what's happening in Ukraine has not caught God by surprise. What's happening in America has not caught God by surprise. It's a mess. Um, we have our job to do to live and be as Christ-like as we possibly can and pray that God can use it. God can bring something out of it that can be glorifying to him. And we expect that he will. It's just up to us to do our part, as is, we've heard today. Ms. Shannon, we thank you for coming and sharing with us. We invite you back tonight for the study session at 6 o'clock over in the uh, fellowship hall. Uh, otherwise, have a good day, and may God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we've had today to bring in your house to worship you and to praise you. We thank you for the message we've gotten to hear today. We pray that uh, we speak to each of, each of us and help us to be open to what you want us to do to follow your leadership. We ask that and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>